0: With five Grammy Awards, ten American Music Awards, fifteen Billboard <laughs> Music Awards, and other noteworthy accomplishments, this Hall of Fame songwriter shares the moments that matter. The songwriter, Mariah Carey, the book, The Meaning of Mariah Carey, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's
1: get, get lit. lit. lit.
0: Society, a show about books and drama. This is the last episode of the year slash
1: season. That's right, it's a season. It's a season. Mm-hmm. We're gonna give our minds a break and our mm-hmm. eyes from reading. Yep. yep yeah. Yep. So,
0: I'm looking forward to the break. Though, so. <laughs> Me
1: too. Can I just say that? And we've done some fun things on YouTube. Please check out our YouTube channel, The Society Pod. Um, So we'll still be over there cutting up, as your mama like to say, not just you, Alexis, everybody, mama. I know, so check right, us right. out over there cutting up. Um, cutting but yeah, this will be the last show of 2020. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we're going to make this one count extra more. That's right. right. <laughs> All right. So now it's time for Society Says, where we share your comments with the rest of our lit society. Again, I'm inserting song. Uh, Kari, is there a comment that you thought was
1: particularly litty? Yeah, I'm actually going to Instagram where you live. And I just found I found a brief comment about Weathering Heights from our listener. Maybe tomorrow. And she spells that M-A-I-B-E tomorrow altogether. She says, I love this episode. Weathering Heights. Please reconsider and read Jane Eyre. LOL. It's one of my faves. Okay. So, I mean, DeBron, me and the Brontes famously have beef, but I think <laughs> it's just time. We probably should have started with Jane Eyre. And since we're reminiscing on this episode, I was just repeat, if you don't know, readers, our first episode was to be Villette. <laughs> wait, wait. Did we ever tell them that? Be true? Yeah, oh, I think we talked about know. it a few times. It was so bad we didn't release it. And it wasn't bad because it was our first. It's just a bad book. And we decided if this is our first our first episode, people will never listen to our show. So uh, the Brontes almost didn't allow lit society to happen. And I just got beef with them. But thank you, Maybe Tomorrow. Thank you for the tip. Of course, we'll have to read Jane Eyre one day. And that mm-hmm. will likely be the last Bronte book I ever touch. But it'll happen. <laughs> ah! What about you, Alexis? Did you find anything particularly lit?
0: I live in the land of IG, but I wanted to (laughs) shout out one of our shorter comments. Mm. Simpler. Let's (laughs) give it to them. Okay. So that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. And the review or the comment is by Book Boo's Reviews.
1: I love that. Okay,
0: She listened to our review of And Then There Were None, episode 14. Short and sweet, she said, just listened, love the podcast. Wow, oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yes, short and sweet. Not that I don't enjoy a few sentences. Yeah, we I love do. when you guys write books. But I just want to give a little love to those that keep it short and simple. Yeah. All yeah. right, y'all. <laughs> now, remember, readers, to have your comments shared, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or and we especially love this one. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We like that. Mm-hmm. Each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we are reading. But instead, <laughs> our weekly theme of the week, we're gonna set that aside and we're gonna kinda do a re- well, we're going to do a review of the year.
1: Yeah. And also discuss some favorite moments. We're gonna rem- reminisce. Reminisce yeah. on the love we shared. I don't know the lyric.
0: Go ahead. Okay. Well whatever. <laughs> I'll dance to it. It sounds catchy. <laughs> Let me start by sharing a few of the statistics that I calculated. Oh, Ms. okay. We're gonna
1: get into math at four in the morning. Great. Please continue. So listen,
0: it's not real math. Don't worry. <laughs> it's not real math. Um, anyway. But I just want to say that with this episode, or is this the 40? I think we've created 46 <laughs> episodes, okay? Are you serious? And two bonus episodes, okay? We did that. We did mm-hmm. that. We recorded nearly 60 hours of programming, what? including our two bonus episodes. Wow. Wow. Six of our episodes were sixty minutes or less. That's six. We can do it. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Okay, I'm. Shocked. And the shortest episode was forty seven minutes. Now, Kari, mm-hmm. do you know which
1: episode? That oh, a little into? quiz for me. Okay, the four, the forty six minute episode or whatever. Forty seven. Forty seven. I'm gonna guess that that was a uh, black card.
0: Ooh, no gold star for you. <laughs>
1: Um, I would say that was probably Feel the Fear. Yes, you finally <laughs> got it right, and I allow it. That is,
0: that is, that is. You're right, you're right. That was episode 11, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And that
1: is a listener favorite. I have to say, when you put that on the list, I just got a little bit of bias about self-help books. They never uh, helped myself, so I was <laughs> like, no. <laughs> But people love that episode. That book is super popular, despite the fact I'd never heard of it. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's one of our most listened to episodes. So
0: oh, well, good because that's the question. You. I'm gonna look for a confirmation of that. And you know, I've actually referred to it several times throughout the season. Yeah, that's so true. While it's not, uh, while we I completely don't said don't read it, <laughs> we we refer to it a lot. <laughs> First so a lot. do what you want. I listen, don't know. listen. Join us. Let's just be part of it. I we appreciate you being a part of our That's journey, right. okay? <laughs> All right. The longest episode, and this should be pretty easy for you. The longest episode was one hour and 57
1: minutes. I feel like that was Wait. last week's episode. <laughs> a, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I was editing that, like, but I can't cut that out. Ooh, it was a lot of life stories. <laughs> <laughs> Black Black Fortunes
0: episode 45. Yeah. All right. All right. And Kari, please share with us. Yeah. The episode that has the highest number of downloads or yeah, most listened to. Yeah, can I give you to our top about five? Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. <laughs>
1: okay, so well, I'm going to ask you please guess what our number one most listened to episode is. <laughs> Don't ask me. You're not supposed I to. I just ask asked me. you. <laughs> Go ahead. Go <laughs> and tell me. <laughs> Our most listened to episode of 2020, what it is. So I'm going to give you this, Alexis. It's right. Such a Fun Age by Kylie uh, Reed. Do you know why Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed was the most listened to episode of the season? Besides the fact that it's on everyone's list, it's a uh, top uh, rated book of the year. Why else do you think did people really love that episode? Because
0: we're fun and... um and is, uh, wait no. wait wait no i have <laughs> i have words i just because kylie ree also was a big supporter of because kylie people. reed mm-hmm. condescended
1: to our little show mm-hmm. and shouted us out thank you yep. so much kylie you completely changed the trajectory of our show our listenership went way up. Thanks to you. We really, really appreciate that. So that's our number one episode. Such a fun age by Kylie Reed. Number two. Guess.
0: I got to keep guessing? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: uh, oh, how about Anna Karenina? Where the Crawdads Sing by oh, Delilah wow. Owens. And that makes sense because people might hear the beginning of the most recent episode and want to start from the beginning with our show. So. Where, mm-hmm. where the Crawdads Sing was our first episode of the season, and it is our second most heard episode. And then number three, Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, part one, because we had to divide our that way. book into two parts. Okay. Yep. Uh, number four, this is the fourth most listened to episode of the season, and then there were none by Agatha Christie, and I can't oh. explain it. So this oh. started, we recorded this episode at the start of c- COVID-19, you were on the phone and it sounded really? like you were on the phone. Oh, <laughs> so wow. from a sound production standpoint, it's not my favorite. The story <laughs> though, the the story itself, that's my favorite mystery book of all time. Yeah, that was despite great. its problematic origins. <laughs>
0: so we did have some comments in the uh in the in the the IG page about that. Yeah. We?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. So uh number five. Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. So that's our wow. top five episodes of the season. Such a Fun Age, Where the Crawdads Sing, Anna Karenina Part 1. And then there were none by Agatha Christie. Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers.
0: Oh, pretty cool. I love hearing that list. Um, it just goes to our diverse audience yeah. and how oh, they well, read. Yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm, I think so. I love that. Well, let's move away from our little wonderful tidbits of statistics <laughs> And I'm going to ask you a
1: few questions, Kari, about <laughs> our, you know, our season. I love your Mariah-like dramatics right now, okay?
0: Okay, I have to give it all. <laughs> what did you learn from reading and listening or listening um, to a book a week?
1: Yes, darling. I learned the need to have a schedule, Okay. Well,
0: I'm going to stop you there because uh-huh. if you recall, we talk about our love and learning about schedules. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In our YouTube video. That's so, true. So folks step on over there to get that and Kari pull that, <laughs> scratch that. And I want you to come up with something
1: a little different. Uh, we read. A, so before this show, I was not a huge fan of fiction. I only preferred to read nonfiction. Oh. And I will say that after a year of reading all the fiction books, that um, oh, the fiction I put on the list and that Alexis has made me read, I've my appreciation for fiction has really blossomed. Um, I've made some strides in my own book, which is fiction because my real life story is not very interesting. And I <laughs> think that was very much inspired by all the fiction we've been reading. So I learned to change my tune. Um, you know, fiction. Don't be biased. What about you?
0: Okay. You know, I really love that. And I love hearing that shout out about um, your book. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like to hear that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if
1: it's just me and you reading it. <laughs> for this show. And we it's will. and we along. Will. Okay.
0: <laughs> and we will. All right. Mm-hmm. So for myself, I learned that I need to sit in my books a little more. You know, understand the world of my character that my characters live in. I think I need to dive in a little more because I'm a reader that takes words and thoughts at face value. That's Sula is a
1: great example of that. Uh-huh. And I'm not
0: I'm not a read between the lines.
1: Yeah, Alexis, kind of was like, this book is great. I was like, yes, it is. It's Sula crazy. Okay. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm definitely not a read between the lines kind of person. I like words to be said. Just say them and um, mean what you say, and say what you mean, because that's all I understand. You're a fan of the literal. Yes, I am. Very, very, very. Okay. Second, and question. that's why you thought Anna
1: Karenina should have ended at the train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's um. Is there a character
0: that we read about this year that you connected with, or maybe they pop up in your mind often? Who's the standout character of the year?
1: Mm, Anna. (laughs) So yeah, sorry, it's Anna for sure. Anna Karenina. I hope I don't connect with her, but I think about her often. I think she was very well-rounded character. No, no. And but the decision she made, although it couldn't be me. I see the people making those decisions and um, I mean, it's just real, real. I-, I felt like her thought process was very mm, relatable. So yeah, Anna was a character that stuck with me. Also, um, I'll have to say, oh, we read something, you know, Tara Westover, I think about a lot too, from our educated mm. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I think about, the holes that I perceive in her story and then some of the um, truths that were likely omitted uh, not to detract at all from what I believe is a very true telling of her upbringing. Um, but just letting us into that world, I've, I've really uh, masticated over everything she's given us over and over again um, in my mind. So uh, I would have to say Tara. Yeah. I'm always thinking like, did that happen? Cause if that happened, how did this happen? But yeah, that totally could have happened. And that just makes it even more crazy.
0: Yeah. Her story was so, crazy.
1: Yeah. Oh, I hate to say crazy, right? That's judgy. Mm. Is it? It's just like, it's, I no we just word. can't believe it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. We
0: shocking. can't believe that story. It's just so yeah. shocking. We cannot imagine those things happening. So that's yeah. why we say um crazy. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. What that's about good? you? I like that. I like that. Um, I got to say mine's. I don't have just one, okay? Mm-hmm. So but mine isn't a particular character, but the author of author of The Stories and Men We Reaped.
1: Oh, Jasmine Ward.
0: Yeah. Um so her stories were just such what, were like a photograph of a time in my life and mm-hmm. I, I just really um felt that and resonated with it. It just kind of like relived those experiences as I was um reading. Um, not that any of those were experiences of mine, but they were um, relatable to things that did occur in life for me. Mm-hmm. So I thought about that. And then um, Anne Frank. Anne Frank always oh, takes yeah. me back to my teenage years and the feelings that you have. And um, so, yeah, those are Anne Frank has always been a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. It's just um Yeah, it really takes me back to my. Thank you for
1: getting me to read that for the first time. Well, I
0: still can't believe you've never read that. before. But then I remembered that I had a Jewish teacher. Not that any no one else would have recommended it, but I think that's why we read it. And so Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. well, thanks. Thanks. I have another question. (laughs) What is your favorite quote from a book?
1: Happy families are all alike. (laughs) Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Not necessarily true, but very striking. Oh, you know what? Scratch that. That's not true. This is my favorite uh, quote from any book we've read this year. Okay. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. (laughs) That is that is the feeling for a lot of men and women. When they see a wealthy man that's single, he must want a wife. You know what?
0: That is like perfect. I forgot about that, but I absolutely remember loving that quote. Yeah, that's like, Pride
1: and Prejudice by Jane mm-hmm.
0: Austen. Yes, I love that quote. What that about? one and <laughs> yeah. Happy Families, both love yeah. them. Love them both. I remember... And Frank said, I don't think about all the misery, but about the beauty that still remains. And so that is like one quote that I really enjoy.
1: Mm, yeah, I love that too. Okay.
0: And final question. <laughs> this is a bonus question, but I know you're quick on the heels. If you had to write a book about the year 2020, what would it be titled?
1: It would be titled Calamity and Dog Hair. <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't have a dog, but just that feeling a house covered in regret and dog hair that's it's just nasty. It's like, why don't anybody clean this up? I see the solution. How come y'all can't see the solution? Make the solution oh, happen? Wow, wow. Um, but that's already a title or a chapter in um, Carrie's okay. book. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. You don't have so, to make um, it up fresh, you could piece stuff ooh, together. Oh, another one. Eating and drinking in isolation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would like that title also. Okay. Do you have any favorite moments that you can share? Not episodes, not favorite books. Of
1: course I do. And and just one or two or, you know, whatever you feel like sharing. My most favorite moment was at the beginning of one of my least favorite episodes because the book didn't really <laughs> stick with me. And that's the self-made episode okay. when I got to introduce a game called Who Said That? And put you on the spot, which is Seriously. my favorite pastime. Seriously. That was great. Y'all, please go listen to the first 15 minutes of Self-Made. It's a lot of fun. What about you, Alexis? Wow. <laughs> Did you have a favorite moment from this year, from this show?
0: I didn't see that coming. So I had several favorite <laughs> moments, but I'm just going to um, pick some out.
1: Oh, wait, wait, wait. Also, uh, we got to hang out for our uh, with our readers or listeners on YouTube in oh, our yeah, um, <laughs> booktube newbie tag uh, episode of oh, the booktube channel fun. so yep fun. go ahead okay let me hear what you got <laughs>
0: so uh i'm gonna say word by word i really love it i mm-hmm. felt both smart and dumb and and i yeah that one is one of my um, favorite moments because i had an opportunity to announce to the world that i had created the worst name i'm just gonna okay. throw that out there all right that was a favorite moment and then also um The episode 19, Confederacy of Dunces, where you were talking about (laughs) Mrs. Levy and Trixie and you were laughing so hard. (laughs) I still love that moment. So the laughter that you held on, I mean, you could not speak. It was the laughter that you have when you don't breathe. You just (laughs) like. I think I had to cut that out because I couldn't no, ma'am. get it together. For no, ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am. It is in the episode. Oh, it is in the episode. That wild, is it? <laughs> okay. Yes, it is absolutely in the episode. And then adulting. Um... Oh, the yeah. adulting theme um where you said stuff like my mom was going to make me a useless individual <laughs> i never had pressure to be anything <laughs> i always felt accepted as nothing yeah and uh, so just a lot of great
1: moments that i remember from um and that's from such a fun age by Kylie Reed that episode
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's it so that's it a little bit of reminiscing for our final episode of the season and let's take a quick break before we jump into (laughs) author and context okay okay let's do it us a little um, context or share some author information with
1: us so I only I forgot actually I don't have anything on Michaela. perhaps you can help me with that and I think I'm pronouncing okay great I hope I'm pronouncing her first name right I really should have looked that up sorry about that okay so who is Mariah Carey listen Mariah Carey is a girl from New York State whose mom was Irish and her father black She has a brother and sister, but no family, which we'll get into. What she does have is the following. Number one, the most weeks at number one on Billboard's Hot 100 for any artist in American history. Mm. Number two, 19 number one singles. Mm. Second only to, can you guess? Michael Jackson. The Beatles. Oh, the Beatles. Mm. Which, overrated. Overrated. But that's another show. <laughs> number three. Ooh, the come only, for her, y'all. Come for her. Mm-hmm. The, I love their songs when they're covered. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Number three. The only artist to have a number one single in each year of a decade. Mm-hmm. That means mm-hmm. for 10 years she was churning them yep. out. Yep. Writing yep. them. Your fave could never. Ooh. The Ooh. honor Ooh. of Ooh. being the first female artist to debut at number one in the States. A song that has earned the most weeks atop the Hot 100 charts until it was surpassed in 2019 by, guess. 2019. (laughs) Just last year, someone actually surpassed Mariah for the most weeks. I don't know,
0: okay? I don't know.
1: Old Town Road. Oh, yes. I do remember (laughs) that. Oh, That song is a lot of fun. It is. It is. Five Grammy Awards, as you mentioned in our, um, in our intro. Listen, 19 we World Music
0: Awards. About the statistics this, this, this episode, okay? <laughs> this episode. We've just charted them out.
1: 10 American Music Awards, 15 Billboard Music Awards, and a place in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Because Mariah is not just a singer. She is a writer. She writes her own lyrics. Drake, are you listening? Mariah has been doing Ooh, it for decades. This. You can do
0: it once digs, digs. When people
1: had to save up, wake up, stand in line, and wait to hear their favorite artist, they were buying her albums by the millions. Mm. That is mm. a time that can never be duplicated, so any records of hers that are broken during this time, I don't even count. Ooh. Her sound can be polarizing. Some people are like, oh, she saying too many notes, which is ridiculous to me. <laughs> That's like saying, you too good at this. I hate it. But anyway, even though people her sound that way. Mm-hmm. If people feel that way, even though her sound can be polarizing, her talent is undeniable. That's Mariah Carey, aka Mimi, aka The Elusive Shrews, AKA M C. Do you have anything on our co-writer, Alexis? Okay.
0: Our second author is um Michaela Angela Davis. Uh one interesting thing about her is that I um I read that her mom thought she was going to be a boy born, <laughs> you know. She was expecting yeah. a boy. I know that feeling, so I, it stood out to me. My, mm-hmm. I don't know the feeling. I just know <laughs> somebody else had that feeling about me. So anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So yes, her mom expected her to be a boy. She was a girl, so she flipped the name and called her um, Michaela Angela instead of Angelo.
1: Oh, okay. That yeah, makes so, complete sense.
0: Um, but a little bit more information about her. She was actually born in Germany and raised in Washington D.C. And um, she went to she she's a real arts person, and she did arts from an early age, especially acting. She began her studies at the Duke Ellington uh, School of Arts. Um. She went to New York University. She studied at Stella Adler Acting Conservatory and the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater.
1: Oh, that's one thing I miss quarantine. Alvin Ailey would come every year and this Mm -hmm. will be one of our first years without them. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And then um, after she finished her studies in 1991, she worked for Essence as an associate uh, fashion editor. She actually... um, Did the styling for Anita Hill when she had her testimony on Congress. That's a thing. Um, She became an associate fashion, culture, and executive fashion, and beauty editor at Essence. Um, she was a founding fashion director at Vibe magazine, and she was the last editor-in-chief of Honey, the magazine. You remember that magazine? I loved
1: Honey. I had a subscription. I pitched articles to them. We oh, were in communication wow. back and forth for a Lollapalooza photography. I used to also do photography. Um, piece editorial, and the magazine closed. Oh. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Remember, honey. Love them. I remember when Tony took Joan Honey magazine. I don't know if you remember that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Thank you very much. She's like, girl, can I borrow your honey after doing something heinous? OK. Oop,
0: oop. Uh, OK, so um, she talks about colorism in the black community. Uh, she's been a stylist to um, the big stars, the big names, Oprah, Beyonce. Prince, Diana Ross, Mary J, you know, she's got even a film career where she's um, featured in a doc in some documentaries. Well, maybe one documentary, The Souls of Black Girls. And then um, I guess she was on Hip Hop versus America. And I think I saw that. I'm almost positive. I saw that anyway. So that's a little bit about her. She's an activist um, regarding. um, Yeah, she's
1: on the board for Black Girls Rock.
0: That's right. So she's an activist. So that's a little bit about um, our co-author, Michaela Angela Davis.
1: Cool. I love it. Thank you for helping me out there.
0: No problem. No problem. So moving on just a little bit, um, let's hear a brief synopsis without spoilers before we dive deep.
1: The Meaning of Mariah is a memoir by one of the greatest singer-songwriters of our generation. Within its pages, she talks about the people who almost killed her, tried to get her hooked on drugs, tried to get her pimped and tried to kill her dreams all before she turned 18. She also gives her honest opinion regarding her triumphs and failures and the cast of people who opened their hearts to let her in when those tasked with the job of showing up for her never showed up or quit without notice. So what were your first thoughts of this book, Alexis?
0: Well, um, I was like, what a way to end the year. (laughs) That's that's that truly was my first thought. Other than that, I wasn't I didn't feel any one way or or another about it, but I thought it was a great way to end the year. How about Mm -hmm. you? What were your first thoughts?
1: So everyone now has to belong to the cult of fandom and call themselves members of this cult, whether it be the beehive or the Lamley in Mariah's case. I am a member of none of those. However, I appreciate greatly uh, superb artistry. And when I see greatness, I recognize it. I listen to it. I take it in and I Mm. try to learn from it. Mm. Mariah Carey is greatness. Greatness. I don't know what you feel about her music. Now, you personally, I'm talking to some of our friends who have (laughs) had the audacity. They've been coming for you, for real. Listen, (laughs) I might not. I do love, but I might not love opera music. Am I going to say, well, Pavarotti was like overhyped. Actually, I might. I have heard people say that. Hot takes are very popular. People like to say something amazing is terrible because they look look, like clever. But listen, when I saw in September that Mariah was going to publish a book, read by her on audible i was super excited um because for me this is an extension of her songs because her songs are so personal Truly. i would love for that story i knew she was going to um intertwine her lyrics throughout the book and i love her lyrics so i was excited as soon as i heard that this book was coming out and that's that that was those were my first thoughts
0: oh i love it that sounds good i mean you do sound like a fan even though you're not, you know, I mean, fan means artist. fanatic.
1: And I think there's a line where you can just like appreciate great artistry. What's wrong with that? You you can. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll let you have that. Thank I'm not going to, you know, put you you're out there. You ain't even going to hold me. All right. Mm-mm, thanks. Mm, nope. <laughs> but anyway, let's get into it. Okay. All Are right. Are we ready to take the deep dive full of spoilers, Kari?
1: Yes, super ready. Let's go. Part one, outside. Standing alone, eager to just believe it's good enough to be what you really are. But in your heart, uncertainty forever lies. And you'll always be somewhere on the outside. That is from outside on the Butterfly album. Mariah's mantra is, and I quote, it is a waste of time to be fixated on time. We can be timeless, unquote. The truth is time can be bleak, darling. (laughs) Mariah has always (laughs) measured her years by celebrations, accomplishments, not by age. And she doesn't care if you old dusty haters have an opinion about it. You can keep guessing her date of birth. If you look on Wikipedia, they was like, I don't know. Maybe she in her 50s, 40s. Who knows? (laughs) Keep guessing and choke. She don't care.
0: No.
1: Mariah grew up always transitioning, moving from house to house, from neighborhood to neighborhood to shed some light on how she views time, perhaps. No matter where she went, however, she always felt like she was on the outside. Her parents' home was always full of chaos. Her mom and dad wore their years of regret on their faces constantly. Her brother and sister were moody and dark in their outlook. No one possessed her like natural affinity for whimsy, as she calls it. She felt like an intruder in her own home which I know is a feeling a lot of people can relate to.
0: Yeah, I know somebody um, that feels Mm -hmm. that way. They grew up that way. Mm -hmm. Big deal. But
1: but when she sang, she felt seen. Her mother was a Juilliard-trained opera singer, and Mariah would practice the scales with her and even repeated a portion of one aria in perfect Italian at only three years old, she says.
0: That's
1: what she said. <laughs> one day she was walking through her neighborhood with one of the only white girls allowed to play with her. And Mariah started singing and the girl stopped in her tracks. She mm. told Mariah, when you sing, it sounds like there are instruments with you. And that moment stuck with Mariah forever. You know, she wanted to be seen. And this was right. a talent that truly touched people. So she was going to sharpen it her entire life. That That was her goal. Let's meet Mariah's family or at least who she remembers them to be during her childhood. Number one. Uh, well, I'll give you an overview. Mariah's brother was violent and mentally unwell, according to Mariah. One day he pushed her mother against the wall so hard that her mom fell to the ground unconscious. He ran out the door and little baby Mariah called one of the only numbers she had memorized, a friend of her mom. Soon the friend arrived with officers. Her mom came to one of the officers looked at Mariah and said aloud, if this child makes it, it will be a miracle. From that moment on, Mm. Mariah thought of herself as a miracle, (laughs) you know, and throughout the book, that's kind of a theme. She calls it an affinity for whimsy. Um, She has Mm -hmm. this childlike innocence she's trying to preserve to get over uh, and find success past whatever pain that might, um, you know, she might face in life. Um, So let's start with her father. He was mistreated often during his military service. A white woman even claimed that she'd been raped by a black man and he was thrown into prison on the base with no explanation, no trial. When he was released, he was provided again with no apology, no explanation. This was just one of the dehumanizing moments he was forced to endure in his life. Uh, Mariah's mother had to enter their home before him for their safety and like walked in front of him in their neighborhood for the same reason. Mariah thinks, what did this do to the psyche of a man who was supposed to be the head of his household? Right? Perhaps being forced to live under the microscope of society made him also a perfectionist. Because when they brought home A's, he sometimes be like, well, we're the plus. OK, you can always do better.
0: <laughs> I believe in that mantra. I believe <laughs> well, in that go. mantra.
1: <laughs> he expected the best from his children. And they all let him down in their own way, honestly, including Mariah. Mm hmm. Number two, her mother was from Springfield, Illinois. It was infamous for its deeply instilled racism. KKK leaders held political office, dictating the moral compass of her mother's community. Um, Her mom was Irish and her mom's father died when she was young. Um, So Mariah's grandmother, her mom's mom, was strict in many ways. Mariah's mom attended Juilliard on scholarship and debuted at the Lincoln Center. She was talented. Mm -hmm. She had a promising career in front of her and was living like a bohemian life in New York City, dating men from varied backgrounds, much to the chagrin of her family and community back in the Midwest. This was her first taste at freedom, uh, Mariah's mom. But when she married Mariah's father, a black man, her mother finally disowned her completely. Uh, Her mother's boyfriends were bad. Not all bad because no one is all bad, Mariah says, but they were bad. One even carried a gun, which he relied on to protect the family from Morgan, Mariah's brother. Wow. Terrifying. That's crazy. Mariah's mom's goal was to be rescued, rescued by a big, wealthy man. That never happened. One of her mom's boyfriends that sticks out in Mariah's mind is Henry. Henry was kind and he lived in the servants' quarters near what Mariah remembers being a trash dump. Um, at this point, Mariah had no friends. All the Long Island kids were white and they never let her forget that she belonged to the hired help, basically. Mm. Again, she was on the outside. But Henry made her feel like she was home when he was with her. Um, he gave her an orange rescue kitten, which she named Morris. Uh, she confided in Morris all the time while swinging near the garbage dump, near the house. <laughs> um, Aww. This scene actually inspired the Vision of Love video where she's like on a swing. She's thinking about that uh, servant's quarters near the garbage dump. Anyway, Henry even paid for her second year at summer camp. He was invested in her happiness and it seems the happiness of her family. Uh, But Henry had a dark side. Mm -hmm.
0: Henry was a black Vietnam veteran and was severely damaged by the consequences of both of those identities. I suspect, he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder ptsd and even as a kid i was aware of his occasional psychedelic drug use i believe the fallout from his experiences of war and racism was the root cause of why he and my mother broke up one day near the end of my third grade school year i got home and my mother was up in arms she announced we can't stay here anymore we need to leave now she already had our things packed and in the car Henry was sitting in a chair in the middle of the kitchen. The lights were off, and I could see the strong silhouette of his afro. He was holding a long double-barrel shotgun in one of his hands, staring down at the white linoleum floor. He said very calmly, You're not leaving me. I'm not going to let you guys leave. He never raised his head or voice and seemed to be in a kind of trance-like state. I'm not going to let you guys go, he said. I'm going to chop you up and put you in the refrigerator and make you guys stay here. Well, after he said that, I rushed to get into the car. My mother started the engine. Morris! I screamed. I have to get Morris. He's still in there. Panicked, I jumped out of the car. I was determined to get my cat. That cat represented too much for me. He was unconditional love to me. Be careful, my mother said, as she let me re-enter a house occupied by an armed man who had just threatened to chop us up. Henry never did anything to hurt me, and perhaps she believed he wouldn't now, but still. I had to pass the kitchen with Henry and the shotgun to search the other rooms for Morris. When I finally found him, I scooped him up in my arms, ran out of the house, and jumped in the car. As we sped off, my heart was going a mile a minute. Hallelujah, I got Morris, I triumphantly exclaimed. I never knew what happened between her and Henry, and I never saw him after that day. I heard that many years later, while he was riding down the road in his same vintage red pickup, Vision of Love by Mariah Carey came bursting through his old radio. I was told that he rolled down the window and yelled out into the fresh air,
1: she made it, she made it. I really hope Henry made it too. Mariah developed a taste for the finer things while living near poverty when her mother would occasionally save up money to take them for dinner downtown. Mariah would look at the skyline and promised herself that it would one day be the view from her window from the window of her home from the rooftop of her downtown Manhattan penthouse. It is her view. I don't know if she still has that penthouse, but had an amazing view. Mariah's own mother has never been a typical mother. One day, while alone in the car together, Mariah's mom started singing Rockwell's, Somebody's watching me. (laughs) And she sang the chorus, Michael Jackson's part in opera style. (laughs) Somebody's watching me. (laughs) And Mariah turned to the window to laugh, as children oft
0: do to their parents. Oh, her mama took that really hard. She took it as a threat. Mm-hmm.
1: And told Mariah, "You'd be fortunate to ever have even half of the talent I possess." Wow. <laughs> yeah. So years later, while Pavarotti sang "Hero" in Italy with Mariah on stage, Mariah's mother was in attendance. Mm. Mm, shade. Before Mariah was born, the quartet of her mother, father, brother, and sister were formed. You know, they were this nuclear family of four. Right. Um, and it started with a marriage that occurred two years before loving. Versus Virginia. Listen, it used to be illegal to marry for black people to marry white people and white people to marry black people. They got married during that time when it was illegal. Her sister, Mariah believes, was damaged by what she saw from inside the family and the pains forced on them by those on the outside. So all the hatred that they received for being an interracial family had its effect on the children. Mariah has only one memory of them all eating together ever. The threat of violence from her father hung in the air during that moment. After several violent encounters, including the police, by court order, Mariah's brother and father could not live in the same house when he was still a minor. Mariah was taken by her mother, who made it clear that Mariah was her child and would never be victim to her father's temper. Morgan, the brother, too, had to live with his mother, again by court order. That left Allison, Mariah's sister, scattered. Scattered. She felt like a child thrown away, uh, Allison did. It her, was as if her mother. Mm-hmm.
0: Her, um, she talked briefly that there is like a huge gap in their ages, didn't she? Mm,
1: I know she's, Mariah's the baby. I don't remember the gap though. Oh, okay. But um, it's significant because. Mm-hmm. The, so Allison felt like the mom had chosen Mariah and Morgan over her. At 15, Allison got pregnant by a grown man. Mm-hmm. And her father told her she could keep the child if she got married to the man. Mm -hmm. She was married in the Philippines with her adult military enlisted groom. Okay. This man was in the military stationed in the Philippines and they sent 15 year old Allison pregnant with his baby to the Philippines to marry him. The bridal shower slash going away party for her sister confused Mariah. And Mariah was like, well, I guess at 15 is the age when people expect to marry and have children. She committed herself to never becoming promiscuous ever. Note, this is a tragic case of child abuse. Whatever remained of her childhood, Allison left it behind in her father's home in the States while she went off to live with her predator husband in the Philippines. Okay. It's presented in a very matter-of-fact way in the book, as I believe it should be. But let's just make it clear. This This is child abuse. So Mariah was an aunt at eight, but her sister was a foreign wife and mom at 15. When Allison returned, Mariah was 12. Allison was 20 and she was changed forever. Many things must have happened for Allison to barter her body for money and drugs as she went on to do for years, according to Mariah. Soon, Allison started acting like a real big sister. She brought Mariah a cell phone that only Allison knew the number of. She let her smoke cigarettes in the back of her boyfriend's car and she brought her to the house. Allison shared with her friends, a house that no one else in the family knew about. It turns out, however, that the cell phone would ring late at night when Allison was tripping and Mariah would have to talk her out of killing herself before her seventh grade classes. This is too Mm -hmm. much. That's too much to put on a child. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the house was owned by a pimp. And Allison's friends were prostitutes, the youngest being 17. And of course, Allison's boyfriend was the pimp. One day, he picked Mariah up without Allison in the car. He took her to a drive-in and forced a kiss on her.
0: He also had a gun in his mm -hmm. lap as he was driving Mariah around. She knew. Yep. She saw it. A lingering mm -hmm. threat.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Fortunately, a man spotted them and their age difference was noticeable, so the pimp drove Mariah home. From that moment on, Mariah knew her sister was not to be trusted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was a manipulator, so Mariah stopped trusting her forever. She could talk about this to no one. Uh, Mariah could. So one day, Allison came over to the shack Mariah shared with her mom, and they sat down for tea. Then her father called, and Mariah innocently let on that Allison was at their house. In a rage, Allison threw scalding hot tea onto oh, Mariah. My goodness. She suffered third degree burns and a doctor had to remove her sweater, which had begun to fuse with her skin. Mm-hmm. That it took was years. Too hot. Yeah. <laughs> it took years for her hot. back to completely heal. Mm, mm, mm. Most who know anything about Mariah Carey know that she adores Marilyn Monroe. Mariah lets us in on part of the reason why she puts the star on a pedestal. Marilyn's mother suffered from schizophrenia and would rotate between moments of lucidness and dark hysteria. Marilyn grew up under the care of strangers. But during one of um, her mother's healthier periods, there was this baby grand piano in the home that Marilyn shared with her mom. When Marilyn made it big, she hunted for that exact piano, which she saw as a sign of the times when her mother was her mother. That baby grand now rests in the home of Mariah Carey, an owner that appreciates its story. So she was first captivated by like Marilyn's glamorousness. And as she mm-hmm. got older and learned about her, she really identified with Marilyn's life and story. mariah will never forget the moment she first saw Marilyn Monroe on television and gentlemen prefer blondes. <laughs> great movie. Yeah. From that moment on, she had to know everything about this woman. And she identified with her, as we said, growing up without a nurturing home, um, changing her persona and rising from nothing into the biggest star in the world. She does comment about how Marilyn didn't dance on stage, but instead dancers moved around her while she stood in the center. (laughs) I had to laugh. (laughs) That is Mariah. Okay. Uh, one day, a group of blonde, blue-eyed, wealthy girls at school befriended Mariah and invited her to summer with them in the Hamptons. Come summer with us in the Hamptons. How glamorous! Hours from home, they locked her in a dark room. However, and circled her and chanted, "You're a nigger. You're a nigger." Over and over and over and over again. That's no nasty. one stopped them. That's nasty. Yep, no grown up showed nothing. up to save her. Mariah felt betrayed, assaulted by girls she called friends. And it was really hard for her to make friends. So she'll never forget how she felt in that moment. By her high school years, Mariah learned to sharpen her tongue with wit and shade. One day, a group of girls learned that she'd been making fun of them because they look like boho hippies, which <laughs> is crazy. Because Mariah was dirt poor and sensitive about people teasing her. This is when so she was what in what high she did, school, um, though,
0: right? She was in high school. M-
1: Yeah, I guess. This is just how high school is, right? You project your own insecurities onto others. So Mm -hmm. she had a name for them and everything. We talk about them. (laughs) Um, So those girls who were white caught her alone and were ready to fight her, but instantly backed down and walked away. Their bravado balloon was deflated, and Mariah had no idea why. Then Mariah turned around and saw every black girl she knew in the school behind her. We got your back, one of them said, although you come on, Mariah, he was teasing (laughs) so I don't know if you deserve this beat down, but the sisters had your back. For one of the few times in her childhood, it didn't seem to matter how black she was. She was black, and that's all that mattered. Um, Mariah never shared her dreams with her classmates for two main reasons. First, the kids she went to school with didn't need to dream. Their parents Mm. got them whatever they wanted, and their lives were already mapped out for them. Second, no one she knew dreamed With her intensity and conviction. But one day in high school, a big popular jock was like, yeah, what you going to do after school, baby? And um, she was like, "Okay, I'll tell you, I'm going to be a singer songwriter. And he was like, you'll be working at a hotel in five years. Less than three years after graduation, however, she was singing America the Beautiful at the NBA finals to a standing ovation. Her television debut followed with Vision of Love performed on the Arsenio Hall show. I remember that performance because my father used to record Arsenio Hall Ah. and I'd watch it by and by for years to come. Yeah, (laughs) it's a great performance.
0: I I remember the song and just how beautiful I could listen
1: to that over and over again. I often do. The Tommy years. So listen, he was rich, but he was controlling in a superlative way. Who are we talking about? Tommy Matola. She'd have to sneak out of rooms, out of his sight. She felt captive in their massive mansion of a home. So listen, this is how they met. Mariah started singing backup for some artists that recognized and appreciated her potential. Platonic friend Will Smith even introduced her to a big wig, I think at Def Jam. Mm-hmm. But Def Jam was small at the time. It was like a boutique um, name. So Mariah had her eyes on a big contract with a major label. She was sleeping in hideaway spaces in downtown New York, um, working whatever job she could to pay the rent, which was ridiculous for what she was getting and even had to flee one apartment for the sake of her life. But she wasn't swayed at an industry party. She wore a black dress. She that's all she basically was had was go-to. like, black, <laughs> yeah, go-to. along with the average jacket from high school and had her demo tape in hand. But she didn't have an endless supply of demo tapes, so she had to be selective with who she gave them to. Walking up the stairs on the way to the restroom, she locked eyes with a man. He looked at her, she looked at him, and there was fire. His name was Tommy Matola. She had no idea who he was, but the chemistry was undeniable. What just happened, she thought. A friend introduced them officially and Tommy asked for her demo. He yanked it from her hand and left the party. Mm. She was upset. Like, I don't even know who Tommy Matagori is, (laughs) (laughs) but that demo tape is important to me. The story goes that he rushed his limo to listen to her demo right away. And soon he was calling her phone to have Tommy Matola call your phone is incredible. Okay, that don't happen. She was 18, soon to be 19, and they were in love as far as she knew.
0: R- From that right. moment on,
1: she continued devoted to her work and to Tommy. They even built a storybook home together outside of New York City uh, with a home for her mother nearby. Living in the studio, uh, sheltered by her work, Mariah had no idea how big she was becoming on the music scene, but Tommy knew. Okay. So uh, she was prepping for a Thanksgiving special. On it, she was supposed to sing fan favorites such as Vision of Love, of course, but she was also going to debut songs from the Music Box album, um, songs like Dream Lover and Hero. Hero was a song she wrote initially for a movie named Hero, um, but it was supposed to be sung by Gloria Estefan. Mariah got a short synopsis of the movie and was tasked with the um, job of writing the song for the soundtrack. She got up to the bathroom, which was one of the few activities she could do along without Tommy watching her and she walked back to the room afterward and a melody came to her mind and then lyrics immediately. She wrote them down and the simplified version of hero was born. And then a hero comes along with a strength to carry on. When Tommy heard it, he loved it so much. He told her, no, 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 this is your song and it's going on your album. When she was writing it, she was inspired by her Nana, um, on her dad's side of the family who who would comfort her sometimes when the house was in chaos. As time goes on, it became clear that Mariah was naturally connected to hip hop. The sound was trending and Tommy was convinced it would only be a trend passing just as quickly as it had arrived. He was wrong. Mariah was right. But she knew even then that hip hop was more than a moment.
0: Yeah. She enlisted. Mm-hmm. Can I just say that she listened to a lot of the um Growing up, she listened to um, the popular music of the time and she really had a feel, a connection for what was going on in the industry, even though she wasn't in the industry at the time. And so that yeah. helped her to see what was going to be great, what, um, what was new, what was upcoming. She had her pulse, if you will, yeah. on the music. I think she says that.
1: Her finger on the pulse, Finger for on sure. the pulse, yeah. Mm-hmm. She enlisted ODB for a future of fantasy. How can one forget? Yeah. <laughs> Back like babies and pacifiers. And he spoke to the childlike whimsy that she l- loved inside of herself. Eventually, she met longtime friends Jermaine Dupree and Debrat, who visited her mansion, which she calls Sing Sing, because it's like a prison to her, uh, for a recording session. So Jermaine Dupree Escape, and Debrat come to her house for a recording session in her in-home studio. Still under surveillance, she is. And everyone's like looking around like security is everywhere. But who are they here for? Like they didn't quite understand the prison like feel of the mansion or why it why it was set up that way. She connected instantly with the brat and they snuck away to grab and eat french fries nearby. This was huge because Mariah was never to like leave Tommy's site or the site of security he entrusted to watch over her. She felt suffocated. And the brat was also childlike. Remember brat used to wear barrettes in her hair? Yep. Yep. Of course, mm-hmm. she still do. So, yeah. <laughs> so they, they um, bonded over their love for their inner child instantly. And they decided to run away just for french fries. They were coming back. This was a huge mistake. The backlash was violent and immediate. I never knew who was listening. So I whispered to the brat,
0: want to go get some french fries? In any other reality, this would have been a mundane suggestion, but in mine, it was about to be a full-scale caper. As we emerged from the closet, I put my finger to my mouth and pointed at the wall, giving her the signal to be quiet and follow my lead. I chirped on about showing her around the rest of the property, then announced that I wanted to quickly show her the cars. We skipped along to the garage. Inside, there were a fleet of cars. Several of them were mine, most of which I never drove, in part because I was always being driven. I pointed at the black Mercedes convertible and told Brad to get in quickly. I always keep the keys inside the car, so in a matter of seconds, I had the engine going. I threw it into gear and we whipped around the cul-de-sac, then sped down the driveway and out onto the open road. Suddenly, there I was, Flying down the street in my sports car with my new cool homegirl laughing deep and loud in the bright wintry afternoon sun, it was exhilarating. Brat and I had broken out of the big house while we were out playing Black Thelma and Louise Escape from Alcatraz was not planned so well back at the Storybook Manor. I understood that security was necessary, but why was it necessary for them all to be white with blue eyes and black guns? They were going berserk. Before we got the mile or so down the road to the Burger King, Brat's phone began to ring. I could hear JD yelling on the other end.
1: Yo. Brad laughed
0: into the phone and replied, I ain't driving, Mariah is. But JD was clearly upset. This ain't funny. He said. Tommy is fucking out. He got everybody running around looking for y'all. They got guns out. Brad shot back. Dang. We just going to get french fries, JD. If Mariah wants french fries, we getting french fries. She abruptly slammed her phone shut and we proceeded to Burger King. For the 20 or so minutes while Brat and I sat in the car, eating those fries and cracking jokes, I reveled in the simple excitement of being young. I'll never forget it. Jermaine must have called every five minutes, begging us to come back. He went from being angry and annoyed, to being nervous, to being afraid. Brat was quickly realizing how serious our momentary escape had been. With every ring, she looked at me with increasing concern and sadness. We were really only a mile away and people were panicking. She said something like, this ain't right. This is you, Mariah. Jermaine, Escape, we all here because of you. You done sold millions of records. Girl, you live in a palace. You have everything. If you can't be free to go to Burger King when you want, you ain't got nothing. You need to get out of there. This time, she wasn't laughing. If the brat, a 19-year-old female rapper from the West Side, is afraid for you, you know the situation has got to be dire, darling. When we pulled up to the property, there were more than 10 security personnel standing outside, preparing two large black SUVs to go on a search. They stopped me before I could get up the driveway to the garage, as if I was a fugitive crossing the border. I was promptly whisked back into the house
1: and back into the studio, back into my tower, my jail. Eventually, Tommy suggested couples counseling to to Mariah's surprise. Not to her surprise. He said it'd have to be with one of his therapists, (laughs) one of his people. But in their sessions, the doctor didn't take sides and would make time to talk alone with Mariah. She told her, listen, this isn't normal. (laughs) That's what the psychiatrist is saying. (laughs) Or the therapist This isn't normal. You're expecting normal results from a very unnormal situation, reaffirming what Mariah already knew. The therapist eventually convinced Tommy to allow Mariah her own independence gradually. This was huge. This is crazy. Are we describing a marriage? But that's what it was.
0: Apparently. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Part two the roof. And so we finished the moat and started feeling liberated. And shout out to you, Mariah, for rhyming Moet and Liberated, because you did it, (laughs) girls. And I surrendered as you took me in your arms. I was so caught up in the moment, I couldn't bear to let you go yet. So I threw caution to the wind and started listening to my longing heart. And that is from The Roof, off the Butterfly album. On one of her first nights out without Tommy, she met Derek Jeter. And I wanna start off by saying, Derek, I had no idea you were the inspiration for so many of my favorite songs. Thank you. I see you. You a biracial angel. Instantly, he made her feel seen. He too was black and Irish, and he was a real fan of her music. He listened to her before each bas- baseball game. He See, I don't even know what sport he right. played. Ooh. Each of the sports that games <laughs> of the sport that he played, he would listen to Mariah. <laughs> Adding to her infatuation this with Marilyn, small. Derek Jeter played the same position on field as Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn Monroe's second husband and possibly the love of her life. Mariah started sneaking around just to share a phone call with Derek. She says mm-hmm. <laughs> their communication is innocent in her eyes. Lisa, you sneaking away to talk to another man and you married that ain't innocent. Um, He Derek was the guy she'd been singing to in her love song. She thought, and that's actually really beautiful. <laughs> like she finally meets the guy she's been singing to all these years. And it's Derek Jeter. She actually, I have to also say out of all the men she talks about in this book, I felt like the most layers was were added to the story of Derek. She yep. spends the most yep, time in that he was obviously influential in who she became, and that moment in time she really cherishes.
0: Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with the fact that he was, um, he was had the same mix that she has. Um, yes. And he came at just a really important point in her life, so that she mm-hmm. it, it helped her kind of transition. So I think it makes one sense. day.
1: Yeah. Yep. One day she snuck off to his apartment in an elaborate escape arranged by (laughs) Mariah and her assistant. On Derek Jeter's rooftop in the rain after a bottle of Moet, just like the song, they shared a kiss. (laughs) It was her first experience with intimacy ever. (laughs) Which is crazy because she's married. Exactly. She returned home and wrote The Roof. On the car ride home, she was listening to Mob Deep and she was like, we got to sample this for a song that I'm developing starting right now. <laughs> and it's The Roof. <laughs> it's a hit. Uh, Tommy's last tantrum involved him ranting and pushing a knife into her face. Her friends, colleagues devoted to him said nothing. They were there. They saw it. They did nothing. And that happened a lot in their relationship. Tommy's bad behavior would be dismissed by those loyal to Tommy. He had all the power. Um, So a few years after Mariah left their home, which she called Sing Sing because it felt like a prison, that house burned to the ground. But before then, when Tommy and Mariah were still together and working on their permanent separation, Mariah ran to Puerto Rico to be with Derek. Through all these encounters, they never did anything more than kiss, she says. Um, Sorry, I just don't believe that. <laughs> through, <laughs> through all these encounters, they never did more than kiss, but it was the closest Mariah's ever been to a man at this point in her life. And see, meanwhile, was, I'm taking her at face value. She said yeah, what she said. And you know what? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fitting. Mariah returns home and wrote My All. Oh, I love that song. Tommy listened to it and knew it could never be about him. (laughs) But what you going to do? Because it was a hit. She could hear it right away. It was like, well, I guess I got (laughs) to throw a lot of money behind the promotion of the song. That's obviously about you and another man. Gabby. Again. Thank you, Derek. I owe you a lot, bro. (laughs) As Mariah distanced herself from Tommy and his mainstream code white devotion, her sound became more urban code black. She began working with Stevie J. Rumour Stevie J was respectable. Me neither. Puffy <laughs> <Coffee> and Q-Tip. <laughs> the Notorious VIG was scheduled to drop 16 for a remix before tragically succumbing to gunshot wounds. Um, today, when Mariah hears Honey, she still regrets that Biggie is not on that song. After her marriage to Tommy was officially over, Mariah moved on with Derek Jeter officially, okay? He offered her something no man ever had, a connection. Like her, his father was black and his mother was Irish again, okay? And that might sound silly, but she didn't know anyone else with that ex- I mean that exact makeup mm-hmm. in their family. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, their differences, Derek's family's differences had not torn them apart. In fact, his family was very close and they fell in love with Mariah. So the Jeter showed Mariah that an interracial family didn't have to be dysfunctional and that the problems of her family weren't solely based on race, which she kind of felt might have been the case up until that point. It was all so perfect, but it did not last. And sometimes after she's had a few with her friends, she's like, man, it could have really worked out. <laughs> so anyway, MC and DJ eventually parted ways. 2001, TRL. You may remember this moment or hearing about it. Mariah took off a baggy shirt on TRL to reveal short shorts and a halter top. Carson Daly seemed shocked. I was also shocked when I realized for the first time ever while reading this book that Carson Daly and Jimmy Kimmel aren't the same person. <laughs> Wait. Wait. <laughs> Wait, for real. Which is which? Who's Jimmy Kimmel? Who's Carson Daly? I don't know. But this just made me realize they're not the same person. Thanks, Mariah. Wow. Anyway. Wow. So I don't know her. Sorry, Carson (laughs) Daly, Jimmy Kimmel. I don't know her. Anyway, Mariah says this was a stunt. It was like stand-up comic that bombed a set. But the press devoured her. When the Cinderella of Sony took a fall, the monster and the media ate her whole. There was no social media for her to feed off of the encouragement of her fans. The climax came when Mariah stopped sleeping or eating due to stress and overwork. No one cared. The label was still calling her nonstop. So she left her NYC penthouse in favor of a hotel room next door. After a bath and a few minutes of much needed solitude, she heard a bang at the door. When she opened, there stood a group of fans, managers, even her mom and brother. She just started screaming and screaming. Her brother grabbed her and reassured her that this was nothing that they couldn't get through. He had her back. Morgan, that's her brother. At this point, Mariah's mother sees Morgan as her strong man, almost a father figure, Mariah says. That's how her mom sees her son. Mm. And Mariah, too, though, saw Morgan, her brother, as her protector. He was charismatic, but tough. He worked part time as a model, part time as a drug dealer. Uh, Mariah, against her better judgment, began trusting her brother again at this point in her life. And let's take a flashback. After signing her first recording contract, big money, right? Morgan invited Mariah to a dinner that her mom was having for just the three of them: Mariah's mom and her brother. It was a disaster. Morgan launched into a rant about her mother's second husband. He couldn't. He could end Mariah's career. Um, They thought, or Morgan was saying they thought, before Mariah's career even began. But, Morgan said, I can get rid of the guy. He offered, I mean, what was he offering? <laughs> well, he yep. told her, all mm-hmm. I need is $5,000. Yep. Yep.
0: It was a way to get money, it seemed like, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mariah was like, why is this even happening? Also, this wouldn't have been the first time Morgan accepted money to kill a man. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's documented in court documents. Mariah vowed to cut her family out of her life. They were toxic on the superlative level. So anyway, back to the moment. So at this point, when Mariah pushed, was pushed to her limits by the media, her label, and her lack of sleep or food, she agreed to go to the house she purchased for her mother at her brother's suggestion. When she arrived, she felt her mind start to slip and she passed out into one of the rooms, okay? She was so exhausted. She couldn't really understand what she was doing. She was like in a trance. I don't know if you've ever been pushed to the point of no sleep or not eating. And it can mess with your mind. Mm. And you start to feel very existential. I don't know that. Anyway, um, so uh, what are you doing? They're calling for you. Her mother woke her up, demanding she go back to work. And Mariah didn't expect to be nurtured, but she didn't expect this. She went off on her mom for the first time ever, impersonating her theatrics and um, the way she always says, I did the best I could <laughs> when referring to the way she brought up her children. Her mother was so <laughs> insulted and incensed. Guess what she did, Alexis? Called the police. She called the Popo on Mariah for mocking her in the house Mariah had bought for her. That sounds waking so Waking her up when she fell asleep. Yeah. And this was the first time she fell asleep for the first time in days. So Mariah was like furious, uh, and her mom called the police. <gasps> the police arrived quickly, as they tend to do in white affluent neighborhoods. My mother opened the door. I heard an officer ask, is there a problem, ma'am? Yes, we are having a problem, she replied, welcoming the two white policemen into the house. I could tell they kind of recognized me, though I was still in quite a state and looked it. I've been passed out asleep for the first time in nearly a week. In a tumultuous, emotional whirlwind, I'd quickly put my hair into a bun. I had on leggings and a t-shirt, as one would in one's home when one is trying to rest. I had somewhat pulled it together, because that's what you do when there are police involved. But I didn't have on my superstar mask, which is how almost everyone knows me, except for the lambs, of course. Without all the wardrobe and glam, I did appear troubled, perhaps a little wild or unwell. Though the officers were technically in my house, their attention was directed toward my mother. She gave them an odd, knowing look which felt like the equivalent of a secret society handshake. Some sort of white woman in distress cop code. She had been defied and I had dared to be belligerent. I was being aggressive toward her. I was scaring her and they received her signal loud and clear. It was in their training. The code was in her culture. This was her world, her people, and her language. She had control. Even Mariah Carey couldn't compete with a nameless white woman in distress. Part three, our final part, I wish you well. Do good to those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Psalm 129, two, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained victory over me. And that's from I wish you well off the E equals MC squared album. The police hauled Mariah out of the home into a quote-unquote rest facility nearby at Mariah's request. After a full night's sleep, she woke up and realized this is not a rest facility. <laughs> it's an institution.
0: Oh, it, took days,
1: it took days of red tape to successfully leave. Okay. Soon after, in search of a real spa escape, she fell into her brother's hands again. He was like, come to California, come to L.A., I'll take you out to this spa. Mm -hmm. So they got to the quote-unquote spa in L.A., the other side of the coast, okay, far from her New York home. And Mariah was drugged heavily. Uh, Also, when the Twin Towers came down September 11th, this is where she was. Uh, She was soon released to face her never-ending schedule of events. Number one, the premiere of her movie, Glitter. Two, an event to benefit the families of those who died on 9 11 where is she saying hero? Finally, she made her way to a psychiatrist in upstate New York. Eventually, he put a name to everything she'd been experiencing. Um, she says it was some uh, somatization. Somatization is the um, true is when someone displays true medical symptoms with no discernible organic cause. She may always struggle with PTSD, she says. Um the psychiatrist has helped her not to have any contact with her siblings and only interact with her mother through boundaries which Mariah's created and you know has to uphold. I will add a footnote here. During this period there is a People's magazine cover um, saying my battle with bipolar disorder mm. with featuring Mariah. She does not talk about that in this book. That is her choice. Um moving on. There is a portion of about 3 years where she was with Luis Miguel. Let me just tell you Black people created this sound that was like a little bit of rock before rock. And Elvis Presley um, made that sound mainstream by uh, whitewashing it. Years later, a very talented artist would come out of Mexico and they would call him the Spanish Elvis Presley. That man would date a black woman named Mariah Carey and tell her, You're not black, though. I just found this all so ironic. His name is Luis Miguel. He's extremely talented. He is Luis Miguel. He's not the Spanish anything. He is Luis Miguel. Okay. He's also very cute at one time. (laughs) And some of y'all might still think he's cute. Listen, he's Luis Miguel. Okay. So Mariah was like, yes, I will totally date Luis Miguel, even if he denies that I'm black because he's Luis Miguel. Okay. (laughs) And I think she made the right decision at this time Uh in her life. They were together for some time, for years, but he was not the one. He was a moment. Um, soon after her father dies, um, she had some difficulty with that, of course. Um, but something good happened also to her, at least uh, on her path, the goals that she had lined up for herself. She met Lee Daniels and he had a part for her in a movie he was creating um, from the book Precious or Push by Sapphire. Push. <laughs> yeah. The movie was movie being precious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She also had VH1 Divas Live where she did a tribute to Aretha. When she first said hi to Aretha, she like knelt down beside her because it was Aretha Franklin and she wanted to say be respectful. And I thought this was so cute. She said, excuse me, Miss Franklin. My name is Mariah. (laughs) Like, don't nobody know who Mariah is. (laughs) And Aretha was like, girl, you know what you got manners. And that's what these so-and-sos ain't got. So anyway, they became friends. Also, this is the performance where Celine Dion kind of tried to upstage Aries and what she was Mariah. About? Yeah, I didn't know. and if you watch it, Mariah like backs up and starts singing with the backup singers, <laughs> who she says she knew. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Uh, Patty LaBelle was later like, Mariah, you did the right thing because if you had gotten caught up in that mess, I would have slapped you. <laughs> and she looks at Patty Lavelle like a um, like a mom, like a, a new mom. Anyway, a few good men. She has so much respect and admiration yes. for Stevie Wonder, and she finally got to meet him, and the respect and admiration was uh, mutual. So that's a, a man sh- she's so proud to call a friend. Prince was the big brother she always needed. Uh, he gave her the gift of a Bible. Nick Cannon, the rat was pressuring her to meet him, saying, he's been talking about you nonstop. Um, he presented her with her surfboard award at the Teen Choice Awards and their conversation was cute and memorable. Uh, but Mariah had a no-rapper's rule and I think this line is such shade. <laughs> she says, and I quote, I had no idea he had real rapper aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> End quote. Now, Nick Cannon been rapping forever uh, and no one will take it seriously. Um, so anyway, she once left a date with a baseball player a basketball player. I don't know, a sports player, a baller. <laughs> To listen to E equals MC squared with Nick Cannon. She liked him. They were friends and their friendship grew to a relationship until she found a gorgeous ring waiting for her among a collection of candy. They were married in the Bahamas and it was real love. Near Christmas when she was 10 weeks pregnant and her and Nick were beyond excited. They began planning the announcement. Unfortunately, Mariah would have to survive a miscarriage. She threw, um, her, threw herself into self-care Um, and just watching what she ate, how she moved, and it paid off when she became pregnant with twins. Michelle Obama was the first to know after Mariah whispered the news in her ear after a performance. (laughs) Uh, All of her fun party friends were gone because she couldn't party. She was pregnant. Um, She was in a constant state of discomfort. Fortunately, she had a mother-in-law who was there for her like no one else. She's forever grateful for Beth, Nick's mom. Even though their marriage didn't work, they make it work with rock and roll, their children. At the end of 2019, thanks to her friends, Mariah received her 19th number one song <laughs> with a song over two decades old. She's the first artist to reach number one in four decades. And that's it. You gonna take a break? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Have you found the meaning of Mariah Carey? What did you think about this?
0: So I listened to it and I enjoyed listening to it. She has a lot Mm -hmm. of strong language in it. Um, I loved hearing a lot of her stories. So I'm not her biggest fan, Mm -hmm. but I am her. um, I have purchased her CD, the one where she's in gold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's that one called?
1: She's on gold on
0: butterfly, I think. She's on gold in number one. Oh, maybe it's butterfly. Anyway, I, I there are songs of hers that, as I was listening, I was getting excited. To. I was like, I remember that. And then I would go yeah. watch the video, and it was just, um, it was a fun listen to. I really yeah. enjoy uh, listening to the book and hearing her path about her life story. I love the fact that she acknowledged that this was her side of the story. Other uh, people may have saw those experiences and retell them very differently. Mm-hmm. I thought that was uh great that she acknowledged that I, she shared what she wanted to share. And that was very clear and obvious, um, mm-hmm. because there are things I was like, well, what about this? Or what about that? Um, but she shared what she wanted to share, and that's quite all right. That's what you get to do mm-hmm. when you write a memoir. But um, yeah, I enjoyed reading it, and I enjoyed, let's say, I enjoyed listening to it. But again, she uses just a, a lot of
1: strong language. How about you, Kari? I think for me, this book is the definition of a beach read. It is not, you know, a capital lit in literature. Uh, this book is telling her story in a way where because she's so devoted to um, a childlike enthusiasm that even the heavy parts don't feel too heavy. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I thought about them later, I mean, um, then the heaviness came when I really thought about the details of what it must have been like for a little child to grow up in that environment. And I feel like I understand the artist more. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a Mm -hmm. book I really would have loved to digest on a beach somewhere, um, you know, surrounded by beauty um, taking in this sometimes heavy information that's presented with uh, whimsy and, and light. Uh, innocence. So I really enjoyed it. I felt like it was a very easy read, extremely easy read. Oh, I, I do have to say, I listened to a lot of Mariah this week. I
0: believe you. You started oh, the me- podcast off with that, right? So <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
1: yes, I really love her music. Um, and I love how she like would bring up lyrics as they came to her in certain situations. Uh-huh. So just as I thought. The lyrics of her songs were intertwined in the words of the book and I do love that. And that was a
0: cool feature and as you listen to the book and she's singing these lyrics and like if you're a lamb then you know everything but (laughs) like for me I was like well that's interesting those words sound familiar what song does that go to and sometimes I was wishing she would say the song and actually she was saying the song I just didn't know it was the name of the song (laughs) so but yeah Yeah. I do I love I do enjoy her singing and um, Mm -hmm. her voice She's got a strong voice. Again, my one of her my favorites of hers was the um her first song. So I, I really love that. Oh vision of vision love. Vision of love. You know, we'd be at Emotious. home.
1: Emotions. Yeah. Be sure. at home
0: trying to get up there with her. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: yeah so yeah oh that's
0: my whole childhood yeah it's just part of the package so you know you can expect that so yeah i I really did i really did but anyway (laughs) i like i said what a great way to end the season okay Mm -hmm. thank you for listening (laughs) to lit society this year we thank
1: you. Woo! The whole year. The whole y'all year. the best. Yeah.
0: We appreciate you readers following us on social media, listening to our show. Uh, we'll return from break
1: January. You know, January. <laughs> January is. Yeah. No, we should really announce when we're coming back. I'm going to say so January 14th. That's right. January 14th, we will return. Yes, And until then, re-listen to some episodes. Check us
0: out on YouTube and support us on listen Society Podshop and purchase our candles and merch. Yeah, we'll still be here. We're just not going to be chatting <laughs> with you every week, okay? Yeah, but you can catch us on Instagram, Twitter, especially. Absolutely. Lit Society <laughs> is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us, because we do love and appreciate love you. If yeah. you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LetSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next season, friends, readers,
1: <laughs> read, read something. Read something.
0: <laughs> Woo.